Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. Folks, tonight is an exciting episode. We are going to talk to Jamie Mason and Jeb Riley of There Were Wires, Boston band from the early 2000s. Iodine Records is re-releasing some of their most classic releases, and one of those is the There Were Wires record. So we're going to talk to the boys about what's on the release, if there's anything extra. And Tommy, I listened to this record. Dude, it is so good. Yeah, It's like I, right up my alley. Yeah, it's really funny as I was like listening to it and I'm going, how did we miss this band? Yeah. I, I don't understand. Like, it's like the it, it they're, they're very botchy. And in my head, I'm going like, well, I, how did I not gravitate towards this? Actually, you know what I always think about like local reference? They remind me a lot of the minor times yes same feel as them yes and they have a they had a 2003 record on iodine somnambulists i think that's how you pronounce it it's so good it's really good yeah it's just that chaotic but melodic hardcore type stuff you know i just i it, it was good so i'm excited to talk to the guys to see what's going on with them see what's going on with the release but tommy what's going on with you uh, not much. I'm actually, I, I, yesterday morning I got my COVID vaccine, the first one. Oh, how do you feel? Did you have any after effects? I did have a little bit of an after effect. I was very, very tired this morning and, um, I wouldn't say like, like my arm hurt where like the actual injection site was, but I just felt achy. Like I needed to kind of like stretch out. But by lunchtime, uh, I, t- I felt totally fine. I, honestly, I really, when I t- woke up this morning, I was like, I felt kind of not great. So I took Tylenol. And by the time I really kind of started getting my day started, it, it goes really quickly because I teach classes back to back. So yeah. by the time I kind of really came to it, I was like, oh shit, I feel fine. <laughs> like, I don't, nothing's <laughs> wrong. Like I don't feel anything anymore. Yeah, the only thing was like, kind of like, it felt like, uh, you know, when you're beginning to get sick and you get that achy, tired feeling. Oh like yes, like a, like a fever's coming on. That's it. That's all I got. I used to have that every week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's different. No, uh, yeah, I hear you. And so, if you're fully vaccinated, the burning question is: Are you going to come with me and Chuck to Furnace Fest? I will. Here's the only thing: it has to coincide with me not taking time off work. So I might have to do. Like I'm hoping it's one of those things. I don't mind taking a day, but if I have to take like two or three days off to go, it, it's not going to fly. Like I'm work's not going to approve it. 
What if you took off Friday and Monday? I think I can swing that. I'm pretty sure. It's that weekend of the 24th, right? Yeah. 24th through 26th, I think is what it is. Yeah. I think, doesn't it coincide with a holiday? Isn't there something on that weekend? Hold on. I hope so. I think there is. All right. I don't see anything on my calendar right now, but that doesn't mean anything. There's stuff down on my calendar that's happening tomorrow that's not there. So Yeah. We got to uh, get it done. I'm going to get some business cards made. We can pass them out to everybody. It's going to be like a great networking opportunity. In addition to seeing every single band we've ever liked and on one show. I will say that that is nuts when I saw the lineup. It was like, it, it's insane. It's literally every band, like Mineral, Hatebreed, Caven, Converge, Pieball. Andrew WK, uh, everybody. I saw Piebald and Appleseed cast and I was like, all right, I'm sold. Damn, so good. Uh, yeah. You know, it's really funny. I was thinking about this. Uh, we should get business cards made up, but can we have them look like the one Holly used to give out? <laughs> can, oh, my God. Can they have, can they have a ski guy, ski, a, a guy skiing on the back, and then the other side says, party supplies? <laughs> That's actually a brilliant idea. Right? Like, I, yeah. might, I still have one of the original ones upstairs yeah. in a folder. That happened to me before in Manhattan. Uh, a dealer randomly gave me a business card on the street. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, great. But it, it didn't work out. I don't know. That was oh. like during a period where I didn't have a lot of money. So I'd be like, hey, can you meet up for this one thing? And he'd be like, no. no. I told you, like, you have to buy this quantity. And I'm like, oh, man. Bummer. Yeah. But uh, I Bummer. digress. You know, <laughs> I've been talking about how things aren't that great. And I'm ready to reveal why. Oh yeah, cool. Are you? I didn't realize if I. That's why I know when Keith has something big because he goes, "All right, let's get into it." Like, because usually we talk before the show. <laughs> yeah, he was immediately like, "Yeah, let's just start. Let's start recording." <laughs> Are you done? Are you recording? Are you rec- okay? Go. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Tommy turned it around on me. He asked, "He's like, how are you doing today?" And I was like, <laughs> I took a second to think about it. I'm like, today was good. I worked from nine to five, so. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. I've been very sad because my relationship ended about three or four weeks ago. And I wasn't saying anything because I was hoping somehow it would work out. And I just didn't, I just didn't want to accept it really, but it's done. And it just sucks. You know, we've all been through the end of a relationship and I don't know it. It was the first good relationship I had been in in a while. And, you know, the end of it is sad because I don't know. It's messed Uh, because it's messy. Yeah. And it's just like you just have to get used to being by yourself again, which is strange. Like I was so. I didn't even want to get into another relationship, but we ended up in it, which is a good thing ultimately. Yeah. And I was I was just like totally on my own. I was like I'm never getting in a relationship again. I'm fine with me, all this stuff. And it's funny, now I'm back on the other side like, "Oh man, I'm by myself. I have to get used to that again." I don't want to go into too much detail out of respect for her, but it's yeah. done and that's it. It's time to move on. Fair enough. I I think my thing with this is that uh you've been very like tight-lipped about it and I, I mean you've spoken to me about it personally and stuff but i think this is one of those things that you have said before and i always want to like 
reach through the microphone and fucking grab you. You're like, I don't know if I'm meant for love or a relationship. And I totally disagree with you. My thing is, it's like, you're really smart and you're funny and you're organized. Like, dude, I, it, I would marry you. I mean, <laughs> like you seem like you got your shit together. Like, and especially now, like, I mean, I don't know, bro. You're a catch. So I would say, I'd, I'd say, fuck it. it. It is what it is. And I am kind of of the mindset, like, and I have been like this for a long time. And I, I know I kind of beat a dead horse with this, but like, I think the biggest thing is, is that when you look at stuff like this, especially from a distance, when time has passed, you look back on it and go, I, I'm glad I learned those lessons. Like, yeah, in the moment, it's like, it's terrifying. You're like, this is new and it's unfamiliar. And the thing that was familiar is now gone. And I, I don't know if it's replaceable or not. And what time and kind of, you know, the process that we've kind of absorbed ourselves in is like, you don't run away from things anymore. <laughs> like, right. Can't call somebody on a business card to take care of it. Um, <laughs> you know, y- you sit with it. And I think, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. And it's tough, yeah. but I'm getting there. And this used to be my biggest Achilles heel. I don't know what it is about my upbringing and all that stuff, but I was just very emotionally unstable and kind of, uh, codependent, I guess you could say. Okay. But that's not the case anymore. Now I just accept it for what it is. And I'm like, okay, I guess we just weren't compatible enough to stay in this thing. And I deal with it. I talk to people. uh, I call people. I make sure I get out of the house. I make sure I get up and eat and shower and all that stuff. And I I accept the situation for what it is. And I'm so happy with that because I used to be, when these kinds of things would happen, I used to be comically dramatic about it i'm talking like oh really heroic substance abuse and <laughs> whining about it to everybody for months and months and months and how about strangers like if you're all wasted would you go up to strangers and tell them about it oh yeah no way oh yeah, yeah. like Are just we really friends fuck <laughs> <laughs> i never developed any adult coping skills until i was about 35 years old and i've done that through a lot of work that I've done, which you know about. And I just, I, growing up in my house was crazy. It wasn't your typical family structure. There wasn't your typical support mechanisms. And before I could develop any of those on my own, I got into drugs and that was the shortcut to how I wanted to feel. Yep. So, you know, I didn't figure all of this stuff out until later. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm some perfect all-knowing being now far from it but i'm certainly a lot better than i was oh yeah do you ever see that uh there's that old louis ck bit where he's like how do you tell teenagers not to do drugs because they're literally the perfect solution to every single problem you have right now (laughs) (laughs) it's like how can you look at his teenager and be like don't do drugs like they they solve every problem like you don't socialize well fucking get drunk you don't uh have the confidence to go up to people, you smoke a joint and you'll fucking forget about that kind of like heaviness that you carry around with you. That's the, that your lack of confidence. Like, but yeah, what, what you made a really good point is they stand in place for things that we should have developed naturally. And yes. Yeah. 
Because I remember talking to people, I don't know, in my mid to late 20s. And I'm like, oh, didn't you ever like get dumped by somebody and, you know, your whole world just fell apart? And I remember someone saying like, yeah, like, I don't know, when I was 16. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I, I just always felt behind everybody mentally and emotionally and, and everything else. But not anymore. Yeah, I think uh, I haven't had one of those in a, in since I was nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You got married early. I I got well. The other thing is, is Kelly and my wife and I dated for from the time we were twenty one until we were we got engaged when we were twenty six, mm-hmm. and then we got married when I we were twenty seven. That's so early. No, we might have been 28. I think, well, from the time we were engaged to the time we actually got married was about a year and a half. I'm 39 now, and I'm like, uh, maybe when I'm 47. You there know? you go. Yeah. Look, I think of like the way we kind of live life right now, and especially if this, like, if portions of the way we live life kind of continue into the future and become kind of part of the norm of like this virtual culture and the commuting like this and stuff, I think what's the problem with starting your like really starting dating again at 41 what's there's no issue with that because you have an entire online community of people that are like very similar to you and looking for the same thing uh well i don't even want to think about dating again for a long long time honestly yeah that's a that's a problem actually i was thinking about this the other day because you and I were talking and I was like, yo, if you need to talk to me, like, give me a call. And, uh, I, I went upstairs and I was talking to my wife and I said something like, I don't know what I would have to, I don't know what it would take for me if I had to start over. Like if, yeah. if Kelly came home one day and was like, I'm leaving in my head, I'm be like, all I would do would be like, okay, so now I just raise the kids by myself. Like that's, that would be my life. My life would be, I, I take care of the girls. Yeah. That's and what, I, that's what I feel like because, you know, I had my ex, she had a kid, she had the cats. I was like, this is it. This is, this is the family unit. This is it. But you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's it. It's time to move onward and upward. So we're going to talk to Jamie and Jeb. From There Were Wires Now. Enjoy. All right, folks. We're here now with Jamie Mason and Jeb Riley of There Were Wires. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Keith. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's great to have you guys. Now, I was just talking about this with Tommy in the first segment. We checked out Somnambulists. Now, I don't know how I missed this record back in the day, because this is right up my alley it's like it reminds me a lot of botch was botch ever an influence for you guys oh god yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean botch and i mean we were we're east coast guys so you know the converge cave-in thing was was definitely heavy for us um that influence was there and i mean long before we even started a band we were you know i think we were all listening to that stuff but Botch was was also huge. They were, um, you know, one of those one of those kind of you know mathcore type bands that you know I don't think we were we were ever anywhere near that 
league or technicality or anything like that, but it was mostly just that kind of explosive chaos sort of thing that that really appealed to a lot of us. And um, I know Jeb was really into to botch as well. And um, I mean, they were they were definitely a, a huge influence. So that's a that's a great, very flattering comparison. Yeah. yeah, this is like right up my alley. Like I could see someone bringing me this record back in 2003 and being like, Keith, this is for you. Mm. It's that noisy, like chaotic. It's not too metal or too hardcore. It's just the perfect mix of everything. You know what actually, it, you know what came to mind as soon as I heard, there was one of the tracks on the self-titled that I was like, uh, his, his hero is gone. That's what it sounded like to me. It's like a less crusty His Hero is Gone. There's that kind of like sludgy, but also chaotic thing going on. And I really, really, you don't hear that fairly often anymore. And it's it's nice to hear that type of, like, because a lot of people deal in this, like, especially now, like, let's let's see how we can play at 280 beats per minute. Like, <laughs> all right, we, we get it. You guys can play extremely fast and you're very technically proficient, but it lacks that, like, emotion that feeling that goes along with the hardcore that i really love i don't think anybody's ever compared us to his heroes gone before and i'll <laughs> and i will i'll absolutely take it i think that i think his heroes gone you know monuments to thieves i think was probably the the best record of that entire oh, yeah. era as far as oh I'm yeah I, like i think that is i don't know i think that's the culmination of everything that was great about that time so that's a that's a massive compliment and uh yeah, I don't think we ever, you know, intentionally went towards towards that sort of sound, but I think we always wanted to be listenable. You know, we, we yeah. liked we liked things to be kind of chunky. We wanted it to be catchy because even though his hero's gone was so brutal and oh, could be yeah. really fast and that crusty and dirty sound that I mean, you could still get their songs stuck in your head all the oh, time. Yeah. I consistently go back to there's a song called Like Weeds. I think it's on 15 Counts of Arson. Like Weeds, though, if you haven't checked that, dude, it is such a great song. And it starts out, it almost sounds like an ISIS song in the beginning. Very slow, like with this kind of like droning guitar with this little like kind of like lick over top of it. And then it gets into this like just DB breakdown like that comes like so fucking good. They're such a great band. It's been on every mixtape I've ever made. It, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's from like I'm serious, and it's on. Yeah, it's on Monuments. It's like that first uh, that first track on Monuments of Thieves. Um, but I remember I got his heroes gone, the seven inch, just blind a blind purchase at Newberry Comics a billion years ago, which was that Dead of Night in eight movements, and it was a forty five. And I got it home and I played it on uh, on thirty three RPMs, <laughs> and I was like, the fuck is this like, like <laughs> what is this and it was it was insane sounding and then i realized i was just playing it on the wrong speed and it was still insane sounding at 45 um and that was like that was a, a turning point for me and as far as my musical taste go and just like oh my god this is because it was it's like death metal slash doom metal grind punk stuff and crust all all together and i just i thought it was amazing so yeah i mean that that comparison definitely is like <laughs> that's a, a a massive compliment as far as i'm concerned so thank you do you ever play a seven inch on the wrong speed and you discover it's playing on the wrong speed so you you fix it to the right speed and you just don't like the song anymore <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, you can take this one. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've the past few years or past ten years or so, I found that there are certain records that sound 
certain records that we all know and love that sound really good at 33 RPM. Uh, Rush <laughs> sounds really good. All the Metallica records sound good at 33. I might be the only one out there who, th- who thinks that. But, uh, but it's cer- certain uh, something special. I remember being at Tommy. I remember being at Mike Shaw's house, and we there was this time in Malta seven inch, oh, yeah. and we put it on it. It was like the faster speed, and we're like, "Oh, this is sick!" And it's like, "Wait, it's the wrong speed." So we put it on the slower one. We were like, "Ah, eh, it's put not it that back. Good. Eh, put it back." <laughs> but disclaimer: I do love that band. So, uh, so let's talk about. Let's jump right into it, folks. If you're not aware, Iodine Records is back, and they're going to be reissuing some of their records on the label. The first of which is the There Were Wires record. Now, gentlemen, is it strictly? The 2003 release, Somnambulists, or is this going to be something new with extra stuff on it? It's the, uh, well, it's the full recording session that we did back then. Uh, So it's the seven songs that comprise the EP. And then we had done a seven inch with one of those songs and a Sonic Youth cover of the song Tunic. Uh, So it's going to be all that stuff. So it ends up being a little bit longer than the, the original CD, but it's been remastered. Uh, given some some nice finishing touches to make it sound as good as it can be. And it will be on vinyl for the first time. So it's yeah. a, a vinyl release and uh, all new artwork and imagery and, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of uh, the goal was really to kind of do it how we wanted to do it back back then, you know, back in 2003. And it's just been good that we have the time and resources to do it like 20 years later. So when do the pre-orders start? And when can we get our hands on the record? I just talked to Casey, and I believe the pre-orders start this Friday. So uh, So that's March 19th. You can pre-order the record. So let's take it back a little bit, gentlemen. I want to know where you guys, who you guys are and where you came from. Jamie, let's start with you. Give us a little bit about your background, uh, your musical background, where you grew up, and kind of how you discovered the scene. Well, I grew up in New Hampshire, up and I, yeah, I think I lived in New Hampshire up until I was about 20 or so. Um, I had spent some time in college in Chicago, went to art school at the Art Institute of Chicago uh, for a few years before I dropped out. And, and uh, I, uh, I love Chicago and I thought it was great. But, um, you know, later on, I, I ended I wanted to be closer to family and friends and, uh, and move back to the Boston area. But I, I got into to music primarily, and this is uh, one thing I've noticed from listening to podcasts is that pretty much every dude on a podcast has pretty much the exact same story, which is they got into skateboarding and they, yeah. read, and they read Thrasher magazine and they saw a Misfits logo and Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and they're like, what the fuck is this? And then that's pretty much the entire story is that it's like they skated, have some friends that were, you know, were into that stuff, got into punk. And, you know, before you know it, that that kind of sets a trajectory for your your musical tastes forevermore. You know, is that your story? That's absolutely 100 percent my story. And it's, <laughs> Jamie, and it's, it's my story as well. So, well, <laughs> right. You know, and that's it's everybody's story, it turns out. <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> but I mean. But it was maybe a little more unique in that I I lived like on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. So I had I don't even I didn't really have any like close friends or anything. Um, and uh, I I think I just saw uh, what was it like a BMX magazine or something in 
you know, local store, picked it up, and then there was some skateboarding stuff. And then I, I slowly just got interested in it from there. But skateboarding was just absolutely everything to me. Like I, you know, I've been skating for, oh my God, since I was 12 years old and I'm, I'm going to be 45 in May. So it's been a, been a long time, but I, I'm still interested in skating and I still listen to Black Flag. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, there's not a whole lot of personal growth going on here. <laughs> I, I, I do. It's, my weekends are still the exact same thing I did when I was 12 years old. I go out skateboarding. Now I just bring my kids with me. There you Thank go. You. That's yeah. I don't have any kids, but I brought my dog skating with me a few times. <clears throat> so Jeb, how about you? Uh, mine was, uh, I guess similar or like my introduction to music and punk and stuff was similar. I definitely got into skateboarding and I think that was my, um, introduction into like the art side of things, you know, skate graphics and stuff. I've been, I've always been kind of entranced by the, the visual element of skateboarding. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tried to skate and I just wasn't good. So I didn't end up sticking with it. Um, I just want you guys to know that that Jeb Jeb is six foot eight or seven or something like that. So that's no, <laughs> yeah, you, that's really hard to skate when you're that tall. <laughs> oh yeah, I had, I had a, bit, a bit of a handicap that way. It, it <laughs> helped me with uh, with other things, but but not with that. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I have like a like a little passion question for this one, Jeb. What's your if you could pick your favorite skate graphic of all time? What would you pick? I don't know the the one that always stuck in my head was uh, the Guerrero graphic with the dagger and the flames it's like a blue oh, dagger and yes. the orange flames yeah i mean i think i saw that at a kiosk in the mall when i was a kid and i was like you know it blew my mind open hey jeb do do people comment on your height constantly uh unfortunately yeah <laughs> it's something i just kind of brush off i i act like they don't even <laughs> ask the question at this point yeah because i'm i'm six two and i thought that was really tall but you blow me out of the water yeah, I'm I'm six seven. So if people, I guess people make like really stupid jokes all the time, like, "Hey, do you play basketball?" Or Not so much you know. anymore. I think maybe I look a little bit scarier now than when they were asking me that in in high school and college. But I do get the <laughs> like, "How tall are you?" question, you yeah, know, which just kind of baffles me. I I would never ask anybody how tall or short or how much they weigh. <laughs> that just seems really fucking rude. You know, I'm with you on that because I used to weigh, I think, twenty five pounds less because I. I lived a very unhealthy le- lifestyle for a while there. And people would constantly ask about my weight, like, oh, are you vegan? Weight, your weight, oh, you got to eat. And they would constantly make comments about it. And it, it would really make me angry, like really angry. But I don't have that problem anymore because I don't weigh 140 pounds. But I'm with you. Like, I would never walk up to somebody and say, like, hey, you're really thin or, hey, you're really not thin or, hey, you're really tall. It's just, I think it's inappropriate to comment on someone's physical appearance like that i would never do that don't don't try and body shame me man it's not cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly but uh, i'm sorry continue so where was i oh yeah so i can't skate um uh, so i <laughs> I, um, I just i ended up getting into like that's what kind of led me into drawing is want, wanting to draw is uh you know having like the ccs catalog and just copying the graphics out of that or um uh, t-shirt designs and, and checking out, checking out the magazines and stuff like that. Uh, but I really got into music or weird music, I guess, uh, through my stepbrother, my mom started dating this guy and he had a kid and his kid was really into like, um, just all the, all this stuff I hadn't heard before Nirvana before they got big and Soundgarden and 
just all this weird punk and metal stuff. And uh, we used to take trips to Newbury Comics and we would just see what album cover looked the weirdest and like, hey, let's let's get this thing. It looks crazy. It looks heavy or weird or loud. And that's how I found out about a lot of bands, just kind of going in that in that direction. Um, it wasn't until college that I found out about like hardcore, hardcore, but early on I got to like Crass and Dead Kennedys and Minor Threat and Godflesh and just all this kind of bizarre outsider music that nobody else in my high school was into. So yeah, Newberry Comics is legendary. I, I only went there once. I think we went up to Boston for a Converge show. And I still remember like the inside of the record store. They It was just massive. They had so much stuff. Yeah, it used to be the spot to find to find stuff. I mean, there were little record stores here and there, like Slip Disc and um, Rocket Records and little places throughout Boston. Those are all, all pretty much gone now. Um, there's, Is Newberry still around? Newberry's still around. They probably have more vinyl than CDs and more yeah. and more socks than vinyl. <laughs> so it's a uh, <laughs> that is where I go to get my socks. Yeah, if you want a weed shirt or like uh, action oh, figure no. or some anime stuff, it's the place to go. I mean, they they kind of had to change with the times. Nobody's buying CDs anymore. Yeah, right. no, um, it makes sense. You got to run a business. Like that's the thing is like, but then you go in and you're like, oh, do you have the Look, man, if you want to buy a fucking uh, blacklight poster of a dragon, like you're in the right place. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of do. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit of a bummer to go in there because you remember how it used to be. I worked there for more than seven years. Wow. Um, nice. So I knew it well. Uh, but there, there's a, an awesome record store in Watertown that just opened up recently called Wanna Hear It Records. And that's that's the place to go, as far as I know. If, if you're looking for anything cool, they... The guy who owns it is awesome, and they have a good amount of new stuff and used stuff. Jeb, do you still live up in uh, Massachusetts? I do. Yeah, I grew up in a town called Tingsboro. I moved away to go to college, and then I lived in Boston for a little while after that, but uh, moved back here with my wife 15, 20 years ago. Oh, nice. Jamie, where are you now? Uh, I'm in St. Helens, Oregon, which is about, oh, I don't know, 40 minutes outside of Portland, Oregon. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I've been out here for about, God, over 15 years at this point. So it was actually after, uh, <laughs> after our last record, uh, dropped, you know, we kind of broke up and I just moved to the other side of the country. Are you getting in on any of the decriminalized drugs out there in Seattle? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not, unfortunately, uh, it's just not, it's not anything I have any real interest in. Uh, it's. It's very, it's a very strange, strange climate right now. Um, you know, Portland had a, a crazy couple of years. We had, uh, you know, there's a lot of rioting and stuff, uh, riots and protests and uh, police protests and stuff that were was really crazy throughout 2020. And, um, you know, we have a lot of wildfires out here and it's, it's been a really weird couple of years and you know, the, I don't know, it's, it's just been so different from when we first moved out, but being we're, we're outside the city now in kind of a much smaller little like river town. Um, so it's not, it's, we're not really affected by it as much. Although, you know, we still have lots of friends and family that, that live in the city, but you know, otherwise it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's, I don't think I can live anywhere without, 
tons of moss, <laughs> you know, anymore. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and like insane amounts of rain. My my goal is to get back east more often now. My parents are still in Maine and, you know, obviously uh, my, my closest friends are still uh, around the New England area. So, yeah, hopefully after all the COVID stuff is, I don't know, uh, shored up a little bit. Uh, I hope to be able to get back and, and spend more time with, uh, with people I don't get to see very often. Yeah. You know, Portland is just really, really nice. I was on a tour in 2002 with, uh, this day forward and two of this, I mean, it's mo- a lot of it is a blur just cause most places aren't memorable, but two cities that were very, very memorable were Portland and San Francisco. Oh Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much good, there's a lot of good food in Portland and that's kind of like the main thing I like about it more than anything else is I I like what, I like everything that's like two hours outside of Portland, you know, like the, the amount of just mountains and rivers and lakes and, you know, you have the ocean and the coast and, and all these things that there's deserts out here and we got really into exploring and, you know, kind of getting out and can't a lot of camping and hiking and stuff like that. Um, and even into Washington, it's just, it's just unbelievably beautiful out here. So I don't, I probably don't appreciate all the, the city stuff, uh, quite as much as I used to, but I, I'm always going to love the Pacific Northwest in terms of like, just, just being able to get out in it. It's, it's crazy. Uh, Jeb and Jeb and his wife came out, um, years ago and we Eight went camping. Ago. Yeah. That was a, that was a while back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, it's, it's great. I would, I would recommend anyone that hasn't been able to get out this way to, to come do like a hiking trip or something, uh, you know, in the, the late spring or summer. Cause it's just, it, you, there's just no place prettier. Can I come visit you next weekend? Let's go get out here. <laughs> Let's do it. We got a guest room for you. All right. It sounds really nice. How how did you guys meet? Was it through the band or did you know each other before? Jesus, Jeb, when did we meet? I guess we met. I remember shows. On the island. Was, was it on the island? I thought it was before that. No. I think, I, I remember I think you we, were playing I, in a band with Carrying, Carrying 74. And so so where, where There Were Wires even started was on Martha's Vineyard off a little island off the coast of Massachusetts where they so like So you're saying you're saying the band started on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. It did. That's incredible. You might be the only hardcore-ish band from Martha's Vineyard. I think we were. <laughs> I, I can't think of <laughs> I can't think of any before or since. Um and why would there be? But Exactly. Yeah, because there's no reason to have a hardcore band on Martha's Vineyard. But that is that is where we started. This was back in like 98 maybe. 9 maybe even late 97, I was going to, I was going to college at the Art Institute of Chicago and I would come back to the East coast in the summers and I would work at my aunt's restaurant, which was on Martha's Vineyard. And that is when I met Ryan Bagley, who was the drummer of their wires. And he was, he was, a, you know, he had lived on the, the island all his life. And uh, we became really good friends really quick. You know, uh, he knew my cousin and that's that's kind of how we got introduced, and then just immediately we were, you know, in, inseparable. And uh, so we started, you know, on our down downtime when we weren't working, we would we started playing music together with some other some other people 
you know, some other kids on the island. And uh, eventually it kind of turned into a little scene, you know, where there's all these other little little bands, some were more like punk emo bands and, and stuff like that. But we would just play in basements, our, our friends' base, basements and stuff, and we just sort of created this little scene every summer, you know, with, uh, you know, just playing like chunky, like chokehold style stuff, you know, big yeah. open chords and everything. And it was really just, you know, it was just for fun. We weren't trying to really do anything with it, but you know, we, we would do this. I think I, I think I was on the the vineyard for at least three seasons, and by the definitely by the second or third season, we were, you know, we actually had some songs, and we had, uh, you know, we had a a whole little thing going and going off island. But Jeb and I, I'm almost certain that we met when Jeb's band came over to Martha's Vineyard to play. How does that work? Do you have to like put the car caravan on a ferry and get all the equipment over there? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Or if you can't afford the uh, ferry ticket, then you have to just haul everything by yourself. Find out oh. what you can, what what is on the island that you can borrow, and what what carry what you what, carry what you need to. Um, yeah, that that whole era is a little bit fuzzy to me. I remember. I think the first time I met Jamie was so I kind of got into this group because I was going to art school in uh, the North Shore of Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. I met and became friends with this guy named Neil, who was in Axe Wielder with Jamie, and he was also in a band called Still Waiting, and uh, we got to be good friends. And Still Waiting was playing a show, or either they were playing a show, or yeah. We were playing a show and I, I went along, like tagged along. And that's how I met Ryan. We became good friends. But I think by the time I met Jamie, I was friends with that whole gang. And Jamie came to visit from Chicago, perhaps. And I think it was a Converge show at the Worcester Space. That's the first time I remember meeting him. I was in a like a kind of a mineral-esque, sunny day-esque band with Neil and some other guys from the art school I was going. We played some shows on on the Vineyard. That might have been where I met some other people or I don't know. Like I said, it's all kind of hazy. Certain things are very crystal clear and then other things I'm reminded of by other people. And I'm like, man, I don't remember that at all. And Neil played guitar and there were wires at the time too. So, so yeah, he was doing a couple of projects and he was also from the vineyard. So yeah, we had, we had bands at one point we had bands like six going on seven coming over to play basements on Martha's vineyard. And, uh, you know, other friends' bands that would, that would come across. And then at some point we realized we should probably get off the island <laughs> and, <laughs> and like maybe go play some shows somewhere else that wasn't like Lucas's basement, you know? So, yeah. um, that was, that was kind of it, but uh, yeah, there was, it's that, that early stage of shuffling your friends around and, you know, to see who's gonna, who really wants to do a band, you know, and, we had started to get a little bit of once we started playing off Highland a little bit more, we had, we had, you know, amassed a little bit of attention and we're, we're able to get on shows and things like that, you know, smaller, you know, uh, smaller VFW hall shows and things like that. But, but a few of them with, with pretty good bands and, you know, would always have good turnouts and stuff like that. So yeah, it was weird. The whole thing it is kind of a blur. Cause it's, it's for me, it's like three years worth of, work and running back in school and playing in bands and, you know, all this other stuff. But Jeb replaced a kid named Noah 
um, that that also lived on the island, and he wasn't really interested in hardcore at all. He just he was just like, oh, this guy can play bass, so we're just going to put him in. You know, like you play bass now, that's it. And he was like a he was like a red house painters type of guy, and we're oh, making him play nice. this like we're making him play this like metallic mosh core and stuff. And like, <laughs> he's just like, I don't really think I want to do this for any length of time. And uh, yeah, and then I, I think we just uh, shanghaied Jeb into doing it, and yeah, we. And, been with us ever since did you did you guys ever meet anybody or see anybody like super famous at martha vineyard absolutely yep i saw gwyneth paltrow because well, i worked at i were i worked at our, my aunt's restaurant which is kind of an upscale italian place okay mm-hmm. and uh so i saw gwyneth paltrow at the restaurant one night i saw ge smith from the saturday night Live, Live band band? There. No yeah shit. yeah saw him there harrison ford used to jog down lucas's street Oh no! Oh, shit. are you fucking no, Tom Hanks. There's that one was time. It, Tom Hanks? it was Tom Hanks. <laughs> this I was is great. So I I used to. <laughs> so so I lived. This is this is crazy, and this is probably like Lucas is gonna kill me for for talking about this. But so our friend Lucas, he was kind of like his house was, and he played in There Were Wires too early on. He wrote actually some of our more popular songs, but Lucas was like a 16 year old kid. <laughs> that, that was that constantly lied about his age so we never really knew how old, how old how old he was and uh he i lived with him for for a summer or two and um he was he was amazing but his uh he lived in this beautiful house on a dirt road and i used to ride my bike to and from work which was like a you know a couple towns over so it's like an hour bike ride and I remember one one day I was riding my bike home from work um, or or to work, and I there's you know this dirt road in the middle of nowhere, and this guy's jogging towards me, and I'm riding my bike slow, and because uh, he waves, says, "Hey, how you doing?" I was like, oh, I, I know that guy. Who the fuck is that guy?" And like a minute later, I'm like, that was fucking Tom Hanks. (laughs) I was alone. I was alone on a dirt road with Tom Hanks. And we just had like a little, a a nice little greeting. And like, it was so weird. And then afterwards, everyone, everyone's like, why didn't you yell run Forrest, run? And like all that, all that shit. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was so many famous people. And one time we had dinner at uh, at the restaurant, Adam Sandler and his family was right next in the booth, right next to us. So that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, Carly Simon used to. I don't. Does she count as a famous person? But yeah. oh yeah, she, dude. Yeah. Our, yeah. she dated yeah. Warren Beatty for Christ's sake, right? Uh, so, well, <laughs> doesn't get any more famous than that. Yeah. Uh, so I was Dick Tracy. Come on. Now. <laughs> and uh, John yeah. Belushi is is buried on Martha's Vineyard. That's right. Is uh, he really? Yes. He his stones there. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. He, I don't know if he's buried, but he definitely has a stone there. Yeah, I think they his graveyard on the mainland or his grave on the mainland became like a party spot. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they moved I think they put a memorial or moved him to the island or something like that. Yeah, the last time I was there was for a, a friend's wedding and we made sure to go and visit the stone and it's cool it's like a replica of like a 17th century old you know old New England puritan style gravestone. Oh no shit. Yeah. I do know that Jim Belushi flipped flipped out on Ryan and Neil one day for walking on his beach. <laughs> you know what's I do, crazy? I do remember I've that. heard this same exact story from another friend. Oh, he's a dick. Yeah, that guy's yeah. a work. 
he's like a legendary dick. I've read stories, but this in the story I heard, these guys were walking on this random beach, and a naked Jim Belushi comes running out to the beach, like screaming at these guys to get off his beach. <laughs> yep, that's that's exactly the story. <laughs> you have to be like a pretty big dickhead to yell at someone to get off an entire beach. I'm imagining it's a pretty big piece of land. Oh, so the beaches are private up there then? So people actually literally own the beach in front of their homes? Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. Apparently. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine doing that in Wildwood or something like that, Keith? Just having to fucking, like, 70 dudes on your front lawn being like, hey, get off my fucking beach. Like, no. They would beat the shit out of you. <laughs> you have, like, a, a whole bunch of roided up dudes just, like, ready to fist fight somebody. Yeah. Well, it's super weird to me now because the the entire Oregon coast is free to walk on. Like, no, there's no private land on the entire Oregon coast. So you can just walk from Astoria straight to California down the beach if you can, you know. Wow. So, it's, so the idea of privatized beaches are super, super strange to me, but um, not Jim Belushi, apparently. Astoria, Maine, is, uh, is, that's Goonies, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually right on. I live kind of right off the highway. That's I'm about maybe an hour from the from Astoria, and uh, yeah, awesome. you can go out and see the the uh, what is it? I can't believe I can't remember what the stupid rock is called. Um, I'm gonna oh, regret this. Like the the three points one. Highway yeah, that, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, all that's really close, and yeah, on nice days we'll go out and take the dog out on the beach. I want to go to the place where Chunk. Uh, sees the police chase happening and smashes the pizza and the strawberry milkshake up against the window. That's what I, I want to go visit that place. The you, abandoned yeah. restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. say the closed up restaurant. There's newspaper yeah. on the window. Classic movie. So good. So there were wires gets off of Martha's Vineyard. I'm still shocked that there was a hardcore scene on Martha's Vineyard. I love that. It's just yeah. so unexpected. It was one of the weirdest things when I when you really think about it because it's a you know there Martha's Vineyard is a pretty like upper class there's a, a lot of money on that island and like yeah. it's it's a lot of yachts and presidents and you know uh, stuff you know and it's in the summer but it's a seasonal island so the winters there's nothing going on there if you're there in the winter it's like it's just a dead island and then it's all on the summer it's just absolutely out of control but. I remember, Jeb, do you remember this when that that show Still Waiting played on the beach? Oh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't there, but I saw, oh, I saw oh pictures of God. it. Oh, God. So so there was like this outdoor – there's this outdoor beach show that well, – I don't know if it's Still Waiting. So somebody uh, – one of our friends' bands played. And then before we were there were wires, we were, you know, just other mosh thing, I guess Axe Wielder or something like that, which was our joke band. And it's all these like super rich yacht people on a beach with their kids. And it's like in the middle, it's like broad daylight. And, um, and then we went up to play a, <laughs> after our friends played, we got up to play an ax wielder song, which was like just <laughs> full on chunky, you know, like mosh. And we were just going crazy and like throwing all these like just stupid stickers around. <laughs> like, uh, and, uh, and, just no one could digest it, you know, like <laughs> we, we got done playing and it was just, everybody just kind of staring at just blank eyes. <laughs> it was, I can't, there's, there's like, for the life of me, I can't imagine why I ever got up there to do it. 
because it was so embarrassing in retrospect, but it was so funny <laughs> how just like bombed these people were. <laughs> and, and like, and then the rest of the bands that were playing were like, you know, kind of like dub reggae and like, and like James Taylor shit. And like, it, it's just, amazing. We just absolutely had no business being there. And it was, it was so funny and stupid. That's brave it. of you to get up there and play though. Well, we just, I mean, we just wanted to make, make a mess of the whole thing. And that was <laughs> pretty much exactly what we, much exactly what we did. But it, I, something about playing in the sand when it's like <laughs> 85 degrees and like you're on a beach and it's like, and everybody's in their khaki shorts and like their little, you know, little sandals and everything. It just, it was so wildly inappropriate that. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And we're, you know, we're just stupid kids. But it was it was so funny. I wish I had a video from it. That reminds me. There was a hard rock cafe in New York City was doing shows for a little bit in in the early 2000s. And I went up there with This Day Forward. And it was just the restaurant. Like, all the tables are set up. People are eating. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, what do we do? And Mike, the singer for This Day Forward, he's like, should I scream? Like, what? <laughs> and, but then they cleared out this section of tables and like brought in all the hardcore kids. So it was like, Oh, okay. So this will be like a show. Oh God. Some, like some of that stuff is just so awkward. Some things are like, meant to go to... together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, usually, like, I don't like, you just don't feel comfortable doing it in this spot. It's just like, this is not the time or place for this, but I guess we're just going to do it. It's so weird to me. Yeah, I, I was gonna. Say, when I was in high school, I played in a band with my friend, and they had a battle of the bands at school. And I went to an all boys preparatory school, so there was like all these bands that were like, "Hey, this is our cover of 311 We're like, oh, "Okay, good." Like people like literally came up and played like music, and then we were like, "Oh shit, it's our turn!" And we were just a straight grindcore band. I was like, "They're <laughs> they're not gonna get this. They're they're not gonna get this." And my, and my, I remember the kid who sang was just like. I, fuck them. Let's just fucking play. I don't. I really could care less. <laughs> it's like, all right. And we went up and played for like 15 minutes. I was like, all right, I think we're done. And the whole crowd was just like slack jawed. Like, what just happened? <laughs> that was just pure noise. What was that? Just bombing everybody out. Oh, it's great. it completely it's great. killed the vibe. It was amazing. <laughs> so there were wires is playing shows on the mainland now, right in the Boston area. Yeah, I think we started playing on the Cape a little bit. And, um, you know, there's all these like small towns around uh, where we uh, we kind of appealed to a lot of the sort of outsider kids. You know, Boston, there was obviously a, a great scene there. And uh, but even before we were like off off the island, we had kind of like, you know, gone out to play some of these smaller, smaller venues and li- little clubs and things like that. Um so we kind of sort of cut our teeth there and kind of, you know, amassed a little bit of a following. And then by the time we were all in Boston and we had a practice space in Boston, we had made, you know, friends with with people that were actual show promoters. And we were kind of getting around a little bit in a way that was, you know, I think kind of surprising to us in some ways, you know, where we were, you know, we started playing big, bigger places and um, you know, some of that, some of those earlier shows that we had, when I think about it, were, were crazy. I mean, we played, we played a show out somewhere outside, like Somerville or something like that, where I think we headlined over Mastodon, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that was Mastodon's like, first tour. That's right. Yeah, that nobody was Mastodon's knew who they were. first tour. And they were 
amazing like they like incredible they're they're i think they're still on that first ep or close to close to releasing remission or something like that but i remember them playing before us and just being like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> like, like oh oh no <laughs> now it's our turn Ugh. oh god damn it you know like it just it was so weird and i and i had heard of them before but i i no one knew they were going to turn into like you know cover a rolling stone type band but yeah, yeah you know the but i always thought that was pretty funny that like we did get to play with macedon and like no one knew who they were and i you know even the kids even kids that should have known didn't know and uh, it was it was just so funny to me that our our stupid little hardcore band, you know, it's like, all right, well, I guess we're I guess we're going to go on after that. <laughs> That's great. Feels good. It's like doing stand up and going on after Sam Kinison. It's like, oh, fuck. Why yes. even bother? God damn it. <laughs> hey, they're all warmed up for you guys. Go ahead. Yeah. I think the most impressive thing about, about Macedon to us at that point before we saw him was, oh, that's the guy who used to make donuts on Martha's Vineyard. Cause, oh, cause, my cause Bron, oh, my God. That's right. Bron, the drummer, was that's in. Right. He was playing drums for Today is the Day. And so he was, like, I think trying to make some extra money. Working on uh working at backdoor donuts, making the doing the glaze, making the donuts. Fuck, dude, really? I forgot about really? that. Yeah, that makes me like him even more. I love donuts. This makes me want to go to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, <laughs> sounds awesome as fuck. <laughs> Don't go to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, no, uh, but there was there was so much stuff like that in Boston. Like I remember, you, everybody went to this place called Burrito Max. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you could go get a burrito made by the guys from Piebald, <laughs> you know, like or Cave-In or whatever, you know. And that was kind of the joke is that like you go you go to Burrito Max and you're like, yeah, make me put extra fucking fries in there, you, you know, like <laughs> talk talk down to the like you know the hardcore heroes out there. And it was it was just so funny. It was just a really funny thing because they're like nobody was really making money back then, and everybody had to work, and even you know even the guys in the biggest bands out there were just every, everybody had to, you know, hump to, to make ends meet. <laughs> and even in my earliest days in the scene, Caven and Converge were just revered. Like we, we would follow them around at fest. I would follow them around at fest with like a camcorder and be like, there's the guy from Converge. And we would be like filming them. Was it like that out there in Boston too? Uh, I mean, they were, they were definitely, you know, well-respected and for right, rightly so. It's just like I've always known them like that. Like from the day I got into hardcore, they already had that kind of clout. Well, they were the standard bearers, really, you know. And we we did our first demo with Kurt mm-hmm. um, at God City. I think one of the earlier um, incarnations of God City. And you know, I remember being pretty nervous because I mean, my it's con- you know it's Kurt from Converge. He wrote all all these amazing songs and he kind of set the tone for, for Boston hardcore really. Um, and that, that kind of metallic sound and they were, you know, we're we're like 20, early 20 something. kids. like we would spend, you know, we'd be driving around the vineyard and like, you know, listening to to nothing but converge and the, the first cave in record, you know, like beyond, beyond hypothermia was just like, Oh, All yeah. of us, we couldn't get away from it. We just, we just love, we love that stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of where, and, and obviously 
there's so many bands that are were influenced by that and and like none more than us you know like that was that was kind of what we aimed to be and um you know in in some regard but there's just no the the fact that they're still going the amount of like i don't know persistence that it takes to keep to stay in a hardcore band that long is mind-boggling to me like I, it's I, unbelievable i yeah. could, i cannot fucking imagine being in a band that long and and staying you know like i don't know what was it after was it jane doe or even before that that you know that was they were that a four piece and they've been the same four piece ever since like that's that's yeah. some Rolling Stone shit, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I, like that never happens because whenever a band loses a member, the band always suffers in 99 percent of cases. Converge is that one percent. Yeah, they are the one percent, and and honestly, like I don't, I haven't kept up with with hardcore music. You know, certainly not year after year. You know, I'll hear some things here and there, but I mean. I don't have a whole lot of interest in, in newer bands. I just don't like, I, I just, I don't really care, but I absolutely love all the shit that I was listening to back then to this day, you know, like I, Oh yeah. You know, all the, all the Rorschach and kiss goodbye and Acme and his hero's gone. All those things mean so much to me. And even though there's all these bands out there that I know are influenced by them and probably sound better and like have better recordings and their bigger budget, you know, I just, I just don't have any interest in it. But I think Converge is like, even though I don't necessarily listen to any of their, <laughs> their newer stuff, I think it's just like, I think it's phenomenal that they're still a band, you know, even Cave yeah. is still a band, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They came out with a new record a couple years ago. And um, yeah, I, as far as new heavy stuff goes, once a lot of people are talking about something, then I'll check it out. You know, I'm not doing like deep dives and trying to find the next best thing. Right. But stuff floats up to the surface, and then I'm like, oh, I'll check this out. And there's always there's always awesome new records. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's tons of stuff I would absolutely love. I just yeah, it's just one of those things where it's I I can't. I don't even know where where to find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not in any of the avenues to find it. <laughs> yeah. I think the nostalgia of some of those things is what I go back to. Yes, I want to listen to the record, but I also kind of like that, like thinking about where I was when I heard this first, or it reminds me of you know past times, and it really like I'll put on like um, I'll put on coalesce, give them rope, and I'm like I know where I heard this first. Like yeah. I was in some, I was in Anthony's car. We were listening to, and I remember being like, "This is incredible! How does he make that noise? Is he singing into the mic? What is that like?" And it's just like that excitement kind of comes back. It's not like it was when it was first there, but it's like you know chasing that dragon of like, I, I remember when I first heard this, and I want to get back to that point. I love like reliving that moment for a second. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I I was actually just listening to the podcast you did with. Nathan Ellis, uh, oh, yeah. the, the other day. And like, so I, I, I run a pizza place and, uh, I like go in the mornings and I, I ball all the dough and stuff and kind of do all this prep work. And it's the best time to listen to podcasts. Yes. <laughs> so it's just this quiet time. So I'm just like, and sometimes I'll chop wood while I'm, while I'm, uh, listening to podcasts, but I was listening to that and you're talking, you know, he's talking about all the, all the stuff about Cole. Cause I was obsessed with Coalesce. Um, I still am. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, they, I was obsessed when I was 
uh, early on, like the the early you know zero zero two stuff and simulcast and yeah, I, I I just absolutely the har- harvest of maturity and all that shit. So, I but the, that was a coalesce was a huge huge influence on me just for being in a band. I just thought right. I thought that they were the perfect amount of like coherent but absolutely destructive. You know, yeah. like just. I, I just thought it was it was the the best thing <laughs> was was how insane Coalesce was. And that's kind of like one of the things I, you know, when we started There Were Wires, like the Sean Ingram and stuff, even though I no one has a voice like him, but right. that, that sort of presence, I thought, it was all about presence, you know, like yeah. bands that had a good presence and that could really, I don't know, captivate you and like, or have you frozen in your fucking tracks or or make you want to move and make you want to, you know, like be like climb down your throat. What well, I thought were awesome. And that's really what I, what I wanted to do with their wires was just have something that makes, that is, you know, leave people kind of awestruck, you know, to, to some degree for one reason or another, you know, and it's always, it's always different depending on the band, but coalesce was the one that I remember just being like, Oh, they're like, these guys are so violent sounding without, yes. you know, without it, it, their sound is just violent without necessarily having a, a big mosh pit or anything. Cause there yeah. wasn't really that. It was just mostly people just being like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Especially give them rope. That's probably the album I listened to the least. Cause I can only make it a couple songs. It's just so intense. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Oppress- it's oppressive in a sense, yeah. you know, it, it's like yeah. Yeah. onslaught. Yeah, I actually still like uh, every once in a while, I'll kind of just test myself and I put on what's the first song from functioning on uh, you can't kill us all. Yeah, you know, so just that opening like that opening like lyric set (laughs) that ending part where he's like, but just remember that you can't kill us all. I get goosebumps at that moment. And I'm every time, every time. And I'm still like, I'm going to try it this time without fail. When he goes into that line, I'm like. Because there's just that moment of hesitation, and it goes right into the dun 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 dun. dun. Like that fucking kills. Just you saying that is making it. I get the feeling in my (laughs) spine right now. (laughs) Yeah, the hair hair on my arm stands up. I'm like, God damn it, dude! I'm gonna go. Let's go fight people. (laughs) I used to. I used to listen to the Napalm Death Split Um, every day. I'd listen to the Harvest of Maturity side, the Coalesce side, every day before I went to work on Martha's Vineyard. Like I, that was my like, all right, I'm I'm getting ready to go to work, and it's going to be a total shit show, and like and whatever. <laughs> so I'm just going to get all aggro <laughs> listening to this, and then I just and then I'd ride my book my bike an hour to work, and uh, yeah, I was really really wrapped up in the the Coalesce stuff, and uh, yeah, I still like it to this day. But yeah, the nostalgia of all that stuff is yeah. just. I mean, even even being in my mid forties, it's like I don't know. You can kind of just go right back to it, and it's uh, and I haven't. There's not a lot of stuff in that vein that I don't know that I think works for me these days that I that I've heard, you know. But it's so easy just to put on a put on an old Kiss a Goodbye record and be like, <laughs> this is this is the 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 best shit ever. Tell us some of the story about how you got hooked up with iodine records. Jeb, you want to take this one? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how, uh, I remember having a, 
meeting with Casey, perhaps we had gotten like a little bit of interest by from from Deathwish at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Oh, we were that's right. We were gonna do This is when Neil was in the band. So Neil, our guitar player at the time, was he was really into the idea of staying small and DIY and mm-hmm. uh to and probably to the detriment of the band in a lot of ways, and that we just we couldn't be small enough, <laughs> you know, to, to, to kind of like appease that, that DIY mentality. And so we had started talking with Trey from, De- is, is that his name? Trey from Deathwish. Um, and, and Jake about doing, doing something with, with Deathwish Inc. And uh, he, and Neil was just like not having it. He, he saw it as like a big corporate move and like, wow. no, we don't want to be corporate hardcore. And, um, you know, and, and that's fine. I get, I, I totally understand why people, you know, want to go that route, but we also wanted to be able to like have, we want to have like nice records, <laughs> you know, we want to be able to yeah. like put stuff out and not yeah. just have it be like dubbed high speed on a cassette tape <laughs> you know, for the, the, till the end of time, you know, and we wanted to work with, with people that knew what they were doing and had some clout in the, in the industry, but Neil, kind of squashed that and Casey was kind of just coming out and he uh we were you know there's it's everybody knows everybody you know in Boston and I know Casey had done a lot of work with Converge so he was really aware of what was going on in the city but he uh we became friends with him probably just from shows and um, I'm pretty sure he just approached us at, at one point about possibly doing a record, and he was the less corporate option, <laughs> as opposed, <laughs> you know, as opposed to Death the Death Wish, which was you know as big as Sony as far as you know Neil's concerned. But I I don't know. Uh, so that that's kind of the direction we decided to go with Casey because it was something we could still be a little more hands on. Does that sound right mm-hmm. to you, Jeb? Yeah, I think there was the thought that maybe we'd get a little bit more personal attention because Casey had a smaller roster. He also had, it wasn't all just hardcore. Uh, there was a little bit broader range of, of artists he was working with at the time. Right. I, yeah, I remember yeah. just at the point at which we started to get some interest from other people, I was just, I think we all were just so over making our own packaging in the van or like in our bedroom the the night before the show because <laughs> we were we're a DIY punk hardcore band but like very DIY like using hookups at Kinkos to use the computer to do the layout for the CD that that we would then print at Kinkos and like shopping around for who would give us the cheapest CDRs and there's you know if you're a collector of their wire stuff then there's a lot of different releases <laughs> there's a lot of different cover variants of like <laughs> the cd we put out or the demo like pink paper because the art store had pink paper like we need to do something now so go down to go down to michael's and see what you can scrounge up and we'll make something in the driveway uh so we were just we were over that and it was it was really nice to to have someone say like hey we want to we want to do something nice with we we recognize the value in your music and we'd like to make it look the way it deserves to look yeah i really hear you on that cuz we do this entire podcast ourselves the social media the graphics the recording the mixing it's a three person team 
And I fantasize about having like an art department at my disposal to like make the graphics because that's hard. I fantasize about having a sound engineer to do all the editing because that's the hardest part. Like, oh man, can you imagine? I can't. No. When, when someone <laughs> when someone steps in to do to to help out, it can. Yeah, when you've been doing it yourself for for so long, and then someone's who maybe knows a little bit more or is more apt can step in and help you out. It it changes changes everything. You know, like going from a a boombox recording in your basement to make your demo to actually going into a real studio makes a big difference. So we record the 2003 album Somnambulists. I had to look that up. That means a sleepwalker, basically. Yep. Is there a theme? Is there a sleepwalking theme? Is there a general theme? Or is it, tell us a little bit about the record. I think it started, you know, we had kind of decided, I think when we went with Iodine, you know, we did our self-titled record re-released through Iodine, which was Mm -hmm. kind of more of a short, fast, choppy songs, you know, kind of like, you know, catchy, moshy sort of songs that I, that kids really liked. And the songs were really fun to play, but it, you know, we didn't have a huge, we didn't really have a huge amount of material. We didn't write a ton of songs. We were, we played a lot though. You know, like we, we were like the house band at mass art for, (laughs) for a couple of years. And like, we just played, we played a lot of shows. And even though we, you know, we primarily stuck around new England, we kind of became a band that could, that could weave in and out you know, like we could, we could play a basement out in the middle of nowhere with, with a bunch of bands no one really knew. But then we could also play with bands like The Hope Conspiracy and American Nightmare and Converge and, you know, um, Daughters and, and things like that. So we, we were able to kind of like navigate through. We didn't, we weren't really stuck anywhere, which was nice. So when that came out, but we still wanted to go in a different direction. And I think we, with Somnambulous, we we just kind of pushed into like, you know, longer, more kind of, uh, you know, neurosis influence type stuff, um, you know, where the, the songs came a little, a little more expansive, you know. Yeah, that opening the, track, I was mm-hmm. like, where have I heard this? And I was like, oh, it's in the Iodine little re-release video. Yeah. And it, it really reminded me of Isis, who are often compared to Neurosis. Yeah, absolutely. And ISIS was a was an influence for sure, you know. Yeah. And, um but with with that record, I mean that that was a 2002 leading into 2003 was a rough year, you know, like we everybody we're all 20 somethings and we're still kind of trying to figure out like what are we doing and we're trying to find a a path, you know, not so much as just a band, but just like individually, what are what we have to survive? You know, we have, we need jobs or there's careers and all these things that we're, we're trying to pursue while still maintaining a band. And with the writing of the record, the, I thought the music was so good, you know, like I thought what, what Ryan and Jeb and Thomas put together and Don, you know, was, was really amazing. And it was, it was hard to sing over and it sounded it's to me, it, it sounds so much more serious and important, you know, than, than a lot of some of our earlier stuff, which is more kind of like fast and fun. And I was kind of going through a lot with my family at that time when most of those, most of the lyrics and the, the themes around that are kind of about a family kind of crumbling, you know, 
And, uh, and I think it kind of, a lot of it has to do with, with my mother who was really going through some, some mental health crisis stuff um, at that time. And uh, a few of those songs are about that. A few of the songs are really uh, about my grandmother, you know, who uh, was kind of a, a matriarch that traumatized her children, you know, and there's nobody on my mother's side of the family that is not, traumatized for her by her and has some long lasting emotional damage from it. And so most of that record is about emotional damage and, uh, and kind of how it affects the family and what, you know, our place in it and, and things like that. And so it's, it's, it's dark and appropriate, I think for the music, you know, and I think where the, where the music was coming from and what, what those guys had come up with, I wanted something that was, uh, I think, you know, kind of serious enough to, to hang with it. And, uh, that was, I, and it's nothing I've really even talked about a whole lot. And no one, no one really ever asked like, Hey, what's this about, (laughs) you know? Uh, and most people don't with lyrics, you know, like, Hey, what's that, what's that song about? But when I go back and read it, I re- I kind of go back and remember like, Oh yeah, this is when, this is when we were having a really hard time and we were all kind of having a hard time in our own way, whether it was in, you know, whether it was a career or relationships or family things or school, any number of things out there. I, I just don't think anybody was fully, happy <laughs> you know i know i wasn't at that time and uh and boston was just a really boston was getting me down for sure and uh i don't know it's uh it's a it's a pretty dark record when i go back and and listen to it and uh i but i think it's but i think it's perfect for for that time and place and i remember a lot of where i was at that point and where you know where the other guys in the band were as well I was going to say one of the things I, I, for some reason, I don't know why this came into my head, but when I was thinking about you guys, I, I keep thinking about like, there's, there was one, one of the songs that was like, so kind of dreary. I was like, it reminded me of that kind of like new England kind of bleakness. Do you ever see that movie? Uh, Dolores Claiborne. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm a big Stephen King fan. <laughs> yeah. I had this weird kind of like, it's this, dark working class but at the same time kind of intermixed with these very upper crusty people it's like there's stuff that comes across in music sometimes where you hear it and you and it just for some reason or another creates this kind of visual kind of element that goes along with it and there's there's a lot of that that comes through in your guys music i think that's always been i'm gonna i'm gonna speak for jamie here i think that's always been a a real strength of his i don't know if he would be so eager to to say that but when i so when i joined the band back when it was called so between axe wielder and there are wires the band was called acracia and i remember i so i hopped in the band and learned some of those songs and you know finding out what jamie was singing about there was this song called 12 degrees which was about going through rough shit with your family and having to, st- having to stay outside just to get away from the argument while it's 12 degrees out. And like for a, a young guy, this is like my own point of view to hear like a young guy writing something that was so like poignant and that I could identify with immediately. Like I was immediately like, Oh yeah, like I, I've been there, you know, having like a fucked up 
home life, having somebody write about that was like, I know, I know what you mean. It's, it's like, it, it gives you an image. that's not just like the same old hackneyed boring shit that everybody else was singing about, which was like, like screaming about a girl or just like, like garbage, you know, like, yeah, just filler. That, that was one of the, my favorite parts about the band was having an, a competent, talented singer who could put you in a mood or who could get that mood across. When I connect with a record like I did with yours, I assume one, that we have a lot of the same influences, which it sounds like we do. And two, that we've been through some of the same shit, which it sounds like we have. I mean, early 20s, I think, is a hard time for anybody growing up. I know I was going through a lot of shit with my family at the time. I had just moved out on my own. I was just like sinking deeper into drug and alcohol addiction. That was when it really started to first take hold. So there was a lot of tough shit going on all at once. And uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised to hear that you were dealing with some of the same things. Well, yeah. I mean, I, and I've actually, you know, listening to your podcast, I, I remember hearing you talk about how you've kind of overcome a lot of that, a lot of the addiction um, that you dealt with over the years. I think that's amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think that early twenties, just when you're trying to, to really find yourself and trying to find a place and it's, it's incredibly hard and yeah. you're, you have to, and for most people, you have to give up a lot of things to be able to get to the place where you need to be. And that, and for some people that's like, Hey, I have to give up my family. I have to yeah. move. I have to move to the other side of the the country to get away from this, you know, or, um, you know, or, or I have to drown it out some way. And that idea of loss is kind of in anything, you know, and, and it's all exhausting and yeah, it, yeah. and that's, you know, and I, I, I've never, I've never given a lot of, you know, I, I try to, to put out thoughtful lyrics, you know, at the time. And, and sometimes I think I did okay. And other times not so much, but you know, the, the one thing that I read in a, in a review way back then that I was like, okay, that's fair. was just someone, someone mentioned, said something about the lyrics and the, and the vocals is just like, oh, well, you know, Jamie is a, a poet of exhaustion, you know? And I was like, that's, that's fair. <laughs> you know, like that's, that I'll, I, because I, because I was fucking exhausted, you know, like I was, yeah. I was beat down by the city. I was, it was just such an aggressive place. And I was just turning into such an asshole. I was just mad all the time, you know, and, and just tired of a lot of things, which is, I mean, and nobody really wants to hear that anymore. Nobody wants to hear that. Like, oh, well, the, you know, the 20 year old white guy is tired, <laughs> you know, like oh, yeah. he's having a bad day. No one gives a <laughs> fuck, but it doesn't matter when it's your reality, you know? And, and when your yeah. reality is that like, wow, your family's falling apart and like, oh, your, you know, your relationships are suffering and this thing you really care about is uh, about to be over, you know, it's, it, it matters, you know? And, I definitely agreed with that and I tried to write the best things that I could. And I, I always just wanted the lyrics to be as good, at least somewhere on par with the music. Cause I always thought the music was, was amazing. I always thought what these guys were, were doing was really, was really great. And though we weren't super prolific, the, the stuff that we did write was, I feel like the fact that people still care about it and we were a very small band 
the fact that people care about us 20 years after the fact, a band that didn't tour a whole lot, that what didn't have any videos, that was before the before the social media age, yep. <laughs> you know, um, is is worth something. You know, I think that's I, I think it's it's telling and it's and it's really nice. It's like uh, being able to look back at this stuff really fondly, even though a lot of it was really hard, is is important. You know, and it and it's funny that it means a lot to me now in my forties. Then you know when most people would probably just dismiss it, you know, and I, I don't, I don't ever want to dismiss it because I don't know, these guys are, these guys are my best friends and we've been through a lot together. And even from a distance, we've been through a lot and I don't know. I, uh, I just think it's really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a rare opportunity for us to kind of like come together and do a project again and, dig kind of back into this stuff and digging back into it again. I don't know. You, you kind of unearth all these things that are just like, Oh fuck. I haven't, I haven't felt that in a while. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, Oh, that, that feels fucking weird to think about, you know, like that's, and that's kind of where I've been the last, the last year or so when we've, when we've been really digging deeper into this, this project. And I have to like read old things I wrote again or listen to old songs or see old images and, there's so much nostalgia and with a lot of that nostalgia comes a lot of happiness and also a lot of hurt. Right. A lot of, a lot of things that really don't, they're like, Oh Jesus, I I wasn't really prepared to see that again, you know, or, or hear that. Or I think at our age now we can look back on those times and the bands we were in and appreciate them a lot more because we have so much better perspective now. Like back in the day, I didn't appreciate shit. I was angry all the time. I hated everything. I was drunk at every show or high or both or whatever. And I, I don't know. I was just kind of floating through life. But now I can look back on it and I see a flyer and I'm like, wow, I, remember, I wish I remembered that show. Or, hey, I wish I appreciated this more. Or, hey, I wish I did that more. I'm glad I was involved in all the things I was involved with. And I can look back at it now and be like, hey, I did that. So that's cool. Yeah, I think it's one of those those moments where I kind of like think back on especially those times in our like our early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, depending on yeah, maybe even <laughs> late 20s. Um where you know, all of us were kind of skipping through life with our t- shoes untied and just hoping we didn't fall flat on our faces and sometimes yeah. it it happened and we kind of like we look at it and go like, "Oh, how did that happen?" Well, uh look at the way you live. <laughs> <laughs> look, at the, look at what you do right. on a normal tuesday night like no shit this happened like oh i got fired really are you surprised by that like what the fuck it's like <laughs> you've been a shitty employee for the last 10 months like no shit you got fired i'm surprised they took you this long but like um it, it is it's definitely one of those things that i think um you know, I, I brought this up on the podcast before, but my mom always used to say, like my friends from hardcore, she would call us the island of misfit toys. She's like, <laughs> you know, you and your crazy friends, those island of misfit toys kids. I'm like, why do you say that? And she's like, because you all seem profoundly broken in some way. Like, I don't know what it is, but you, I'm, so, so I'm glad you found each other, because, but you all seem broken people. <laughs> if you think of it this way, these are all people who are at the baby steps of adulthood. You know, you, you, you yeah. look like an adult. So you're, and I, I might have a little bit more of a handle on this because I've been, I was like, we were talking about earlier, I'm super tall. So I was always expected to act my height and not my age. 
And, and, and that was, that was so in fourth grade, you know, I was a foot taller than everybody else. I was supposed to be acting like a seventh grader or an eighth grader. And I always stuck out, but like when you're 19, 20, 21, to the average person walking down the street, you look like an adult and maybe you don't have your shit together, but you have this expectation that you're supposed to have your shit together. And, uh, I, you know, for me, I think there was maybe a little bit of added pressure because I wasn't doing what 95% of my high school was doing. You know, we we were like Jamie said, says in the, the liner notes to the record, we were like navigating our own crooked paths. We were going a different way. And I think we're all kind of searching for some sort of meaning, searching for some sort of control because things were wildly out of control. Like either we're coming from out of control, like home, home lives. And we were just trying to search for a way to like get stuff on, on like some sort of a straight path. Or, or to make the world think that we're, we know what we're doing or to, you know, just try to, try to figure stuff out. And we, we were babies at that. We, we were young adults, but you're babies at being an adult. I still feel that way. Well, I mean, so the, so the thing I've always struggled with was, you know, is that feeling of imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. where you're, you're doing something and you're just like, ah, I don't belong here, <laughs> you know? And I, that's that's been something you know i i started a job in boston to support you know my life playing in there were wires that eventually became my career for 16 years after the fact and the entire time i was doing that it was just like i don't belong here you know like uh there's no way eventually they're going to figure out i don't want i don't know what i'm doing and you know all, all this shit but it's that it is that idea of just like trying to find a place where you feel like, Hey, you, you really do have, you have a grasp on it, you know? And that's really hard when you're in your early twenties and you're just not quite sure. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how people feel confident in anything these days, but um, that was always my struggle was just being even playing in bands was just, you know, playing in their wires and everything. It it always felt good, but it was always just like, I don't, I'm not a singer. I don't yeah. know, you know, like, I don't know how to write lyrics. I don't know how to record songs. I don't, you know, like none of it was a thing that would, that felt entirely natural. It just always felt like, okay, we're just going to do this. And I'll, I guess I'll just be exposed for not knowing how to do it, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> or just, you know, or being in the wrong place. And, um, but that, that's just, that's just kind of part of it. I think that's a part of figuring out where you do belong is, is learning where you don't, where, where you don't fit. That's the feeling I always had too. Like, I'm just always waiting to get kicked out of the band, even if nothing is wrong. Like these guys are going to discover I suck and then it's, I'm no good and I'm going to get kicked out. Well, well, sometimes that happened, but <laughs> I digress. So we're, we're getting down to the wire here, pun intended, but, um, <laughs> I want to ask before before we run out of time. Uh, when did you get the call from Casey that he was thinking of starting up the label again and and doing a reissue with you guys? And had you guys been in touch? Like what what was that like? Well, I think from from my point of view, I think what we had talked about was there's a, a guy named Paul who runs a record label called Tor Johnson. Um, mm -hmm. Tor Johnson Records. He's a he's a kind of a New England staple of like underground DIY hardcore stuff, and he's been putting out. 
I think he's been putting out records this entire time, you know, as from that time till yeah, now. He's doing stuff back when we were playing shows. Yeah. And he's always been involved and he's like a lifer. And uh, I think he, I'm not sure he, Oh, so he was putting out, there's a band called moment that was kind of a, like a sort of an emo pop punk band in, in Boston um, that, was that we played a ton of shows with. We were really good friends with those guys. We stole their guitarist Thomas after the fact, after they broke up. But Paul put out the moment discography on vinyl on his label, Tor Johnson. And he had contacted me somehow, maybe through Instagram, to see if I would write the liner notes for the moment record, uh, which which I was happy to do. And, um, and in, during those conversations, he was like, do you, would there were wires be interested in doing, you know, a vinyl re-release? And I was like, I don't know. We might uh, like, let me, let, let me talk to those guys, you know, let, let me talk to everybody. And that was what kind of put it in, in my head. And then I think short, sometime shortly after that, Casey had got gotten involved. Um, and they decided to do it as a, a split release between Tor Johnson and Iodine. And, but it was really Paul that, that reached out first and Casey had then got involved after the fact, I think to, you know, kind of come back, re, you know, rebuild the, the iodine brand that he had kind of let go years and years and years before and, and kind of make amends for, you know, for the label closing shop so abruptly. Um, which is kind of what happened right after the release of Somnambulus is that um, Iodine closed their doors. I don't know. It might have even just been a matter of weeks uh, after it was after Somnambulus dropped. So it didn't quite get the support or promotion or that sort of thing. Um, and which, you know, was a disappointment to all of us. But I think Casey was in a rough spot. Um, yeah. he had a lot of, he had some financial stuff going on and I know you, you, you guys have talked to Casey, so, um, you know, you, you're aware of a lot, a lot of this stuff, yeah. but you know, we were worried about him. We had a hard time getting in touch with him <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's for sure. Cause he was, he was on the Appalachian trail, <laughs> which was an amazing, that's an amazing way to just dump your business. It's like, I'm, I'm fucking out of here. I'm, 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 I'm hiking like 200 miles or something like some insane thing. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think it's like kind of the, it's kind of the best case scenario to be at the age we are where nobody has any hard feelings about any of this stuff where, yeah. you know, he gets to come back. He's in a much better, he's in a much better spot. He has a clear vision for what, what he wants to do with iodine. And we can kind of, and we can kind of see the, the release the way we had envisioned it, you know? And that's, the, that's great. It's kind of win-win for everybody. And we get to relive some, you know, some of the old days. And, um, you know, there's, there's definitely been talks about doing reunion shows, which I, I think we're all, we're all for, but, you know, COVID may have something to say about that. I, I don't know when, when that's good, would be a reality, but, you know, it, it it's kind of nice just to, to put our, our foot back in it, have more resources and, maybe not so much time, but we do have the resources to be able to, to, to put the record out the way that we had originally envisioned. And um, we're, we're stoked and it's nice just to do a project together again. You know, like these guys are, you know, 
but we're all brothers and we we've been in touch this entire time. We've never let go of the idea of resurrecting there were wires in one way or another, you know, whether it's, whether it's just a small project or a re-release or I don't know, a, a full blown tour sometime in 2022 who like, we don't know, you know, yeah. but, but no, you know, it's, it's all still important. It's important to us enough that, that we still talk about it and it, and it means something to us and that time meant a lot to us. And that's, that's really why, why we're even here doing this podcast is because that time meant something to us. The nostalgia is strong and like, and we still care. We still care about the the people that cared about us and yeah, we're happy to see it get the release it deserves. Yes. And so am I, because it's an excellent record. I'm looking forward to hearing the re-release and I hope I get the opportunity to see you guys play a live show somehow someday as well <laughs> me too that would be that'd be really fun watching like some frail old guys breaking their backs on stage <laughs> i can hear the shit <laughs> what you're saying about that time and that nostalgia that's why we started this show to begin with and yes it's fun to talk about nostalgia but another thing i love is making all of these new connections like i didn't even know who casey was and we spoke to him that was one of my favorite episodes hearing your band now talking to you guys i love this and I have that same feeling where I'm like, you know, you were talking about the DIY ethic, Jeb, and I'm every week I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. It's too much anxiety. I'm not going to be able to make it through the conversation. I'm not going to be able to edit the whole thing. And then every week I get it done, and I love it, and I feel relieved, and then I do the, whole, the same exact thing the next week. It's because you're a consummate professional. That's why. <laughs> Exactly. If I didn't give a fuck, I I don't think it would be good. But um, no, I'm a big I'm a big fan of what you do for real. I I I know it's hard and like to to stay consistent and to find guests and to like come up with things to talk about, especially when it's not even bands that you're familiar with. I mean, that's that's it's a lot of work. So I I, I think it's I think it's it's awesome. I'll be listening, you know, from here on in for sure. Yeah. And ha- and happy birthday! This awesome. is one year, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The the year anniversary was. What was that, two weeks two ago? Two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah two weeks ago, yeah. man. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. Time flies when you're having fun, and I'm, I'm glad you guys dig it. So thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jeb. And uh, did you guys talk, like, after the band? So what, did, did, did the band break up shortly after the, the label folded? Were you guys just like, oh, I guess that's it? Didn't, it. it didn't last too much longer. I think I think we found out, or we had the call that Casey wasn't going to do the label anymore, like, maybe two days before the CD was actually supposed to come out. So um, it was oh. like a real punch in the gut. We soldiered on for a little while. I think we, we definitely played some shows and stuff like that. But then things just started to happen. Um, Don, our guitarist, uh, was was going through some stuff and he just decided he didn't want to play music anymore. And we thought about, all right, well, we can still play music. The four of us still want to play music. So we we toyed around with like a name change and... So we were going to be a four-piece called Disappearer, and Jamie was going to sing. And as we started to write that stuff, I think maybe like a Jamie could talk about it, but um, maybe like the one-two punch of wanting to get out of Boston and not really knowing what to do with this music was just like, it it didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, uh, Thomas, Ryan, and myself continue that band as a a three-piece. Yeah, the, the the band didn't last too long after 
Casey called it quits. It was too stressful to sell uh, CDs that we had too many of, you know. I think Rev I think Rev <laughs> ended up destroying something like 5000 CDs. Oh yeah. Oh god. Oh really? I never heard that. That's crazy. It was it was too expensive to keep them on the shelves because we were selling so little cuz I don't know what whatever normal stuff would have happened when a label promotes your record didn't happen. And we were all 20 somethings not knowing what the fuck we were doing. I remember we got we got some handfuls of handfuls of the the CD as kind of like a parting gift. <laughs> like, here you go, guys. I, I can give you these. And I still have like some stacks of them that like, I, I you know, just in my basement somewhere. But uh, yeah, that was just a, that was a hard time. I think after Don left, it was just putting that idea of like, oh, someone doesn't want to do this anymore. It was the first person to be like, yeah, I don't really want to do this. And, and disappear, I thought was a great idea. And I was initially really excited for it. Um, because it was kind of a continuation of where Somnambulist left off and the music was great, like phenomenal. I, I, I thought it was so good, but it was, I have a really limited vocal range and I had a limited number of ideas and I, and at that time I had a limited amount of interest because I was, I think in my head, I was already heading to Oregon. You know, like I, I needed to get out of Boston and, uh, and I didn't, and I, I've said this before and I've told Jeb and everybody this before, but just with the songs they were writing, I just, I couldn't make them any better with my voice, you know, like the, nothing I could do would make those songs better. And I, and I decided to just opt out instead, you know, and, uh, that record, the, the demo stuff, the disappear demo stuff is phenomenal and that has ryan bagley on drums who's played drums and there are wires and he's amazing and thomas on guitar who's amazing and and then they went on you know they went on to do this rec full length record called the clearing which if you haven't heard it you should because it's like it's, it's one of my favorite records of that time and it's you know and it's jeb um matt spear and and Thomas and it's probably one of the most underrated records at the, of the time for real. I would Jeb that came out on magic bullet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Magic bullet put out yeah. um, the, the demo recording that we ended up doing uh, sounded, sounded better than a demo. So we ended up putting that out as like a, a little EP through our friend uh, Mitch who ran trash art records. And then um, went through some internal struggles and uh, Ryan ended up leaving the band. Uh, so our friend Matt, who would, played drums uh in moment with thomas uh we we recruited him and then we ended up writing a, a full length and uh that's when so the, the early stuff was instrumental and we felt like we needed some vocals so i i started singing on that yeah it's really really good i was super impressed by it and and still am so yeah you guys should check that out if you haven't heard it. it's disappear the the clearing is it out there like on youtube and stuff oh yeah that was oh, my yeah. next question. I was gonna be like, "Yo, is it on YouTube?" It's on Spotify, baby. <laughs> oh, even better. We're gonna check it out. Yeah. So, man, that we're looking forward to the uh, "There Were Wires" re-release, folks. By the time you hear this, pre-orders are up. So yeah. order that shit. Follow "There Were Wires" on Instagram. Follow Iodine Recordings on Instagram. Support the boys and their new endeavor and getting this record back in out into the world and it's it's excellent i mean it's excellent stuff it deserves a second chance so if you haven't heard it check it out and 
Uh, Jamie, Jeb, before we conclude, any final words or final plugs? Just want to say thank you for for taking the time. We're uh, we're surprised by the amount of podcasts that were like, yeah, yeah, we want to <laughs> we want to talk to this old <laughs> old band that is defunct, <laughs> you know. But it's been really it's been really nice talking to you guys, and we appreciate the interest and uh, appreciate what you do even even beyond you know talking to us. So um, good luck with the podcast. We'll still be be listening, and I have nothing else to plug, but. You can find us on Instagram for all the all the There Were Wires updates. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Jeb? Um, yeah, I just echo what Jamie said. Um, during this whole process, I, I, I think Paul first got in touch with us about four years ago. I was going back through uh, through some emails trying to get in touch with the person who recorded the, the record. And it was, over, it was over four years ago. So we, we've been at this for a while. But uh, throughout the whole process, we've been able to unearth some some cool stuff like there's a lot of uh video footage that um matt spearin who i was talking about earlier he was a he was a band friend who hung out with us and would film when we when we went on tour and he made a, a documentary that's about a half hour long and has a, a bunch of shows that, that are a bunch of our shows on tape that uh he handed over to me which i've just uh transferred to digital so we should be putting that stuff up soon. So there'll be like a documentary people can check out and other shows from the, from the early two thousands. If they want to see what, what we were like live back then. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. All right. Well, Jamie, Jeb from me and Tommy, we thank you so much for, for being on the show. This was awesome. And uh, we'll look forward to more from you in the future. There you have it, folks. Jamie Mason and Jeb Riley of There Were Wires. That was awesome. That flew by. Those are the conversations I love the most. There was like all this stuff that I didn't even get to that I wanted to. Key takeaway, Martha's Vineyard had a hardcore scene. <laughs> That's, that is the key takeaway for sure. And on top of that, both of them are really good storytellers. Uh yes. And I like the fact that Jeb does something that most people don't do. He pauses before he tells a story to collect his thoughts. Yeah. He he literally will take like two seconds and go, okay, when we went to go do this, like, it's like, I don't do that. I just start shooting from the hip and then I get napalm death. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed, Tommy, you just go. Like okay. you just start talking and it, I, I can like hear you figuring it out what to say next. Like, yeah. as you're talking. You're like a machine. 100%. It, are you an uh, android? Like, are you a, a humanoid robot that's just programmed to say things? I don't know. I, I took the red pill, I think, right? Isn't that the one? I spent? <laughs> I'm curious. Tell me how your mind works. Like, do you just start talking and, like, you figure out what to say after? Like, how is it from your perspective? No. Well, it depends. Uh, so there's things that, like, it gets jolted into my thought and i'm like all right now i have to say something about this like because i i was listening to one of the songs and then they started talking about how uh issues with his family and new england and my brain immediately went to dolores claiborne that movie with kathy bates and i was like i have to talk about that let's yeah. see if, let's and i i didn't know exactly what i was going to say about it but other than like hey I'm going to mention this and see if it resonates if it doesn't it doesn't and if it does great now we have another talking point 
Yeah, if something tanks, I just pull it out of the show. Like sometimes I make a joke and it's really awkward and no one laughs. <laughs> I yank that shit right out. Folks, there were wires. The first iodine recordings re-release. Pre-orders are up now. Pre-order it. And the record comes out on 416. Yep. Get your hands on that shit. It's good. And there's going to be vinyl of it. Like that's yeah. that's the whole thing is like so People are out there that are collectors. This is something you're definitely going to want to scoop up because, uh, again, it's it, I love records for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things that they they kept coming back to is they they were really excited to talk about the how the artwork was now finally in their control and they could do exactly what they wanted with the way they wanted to get it done. Yeah, and guess what Casey told me? What's that? There's going to be cassettes. Ugh. <laughs> For what? For my 84 Toyota Tercel? What the fuck has a tape player? I don't get that. I still, I I understand the collection aspect of things. Like, all right, I want to have this, but don't you want to have something that you can also listen to? Cassettes are now what vinyl was back then. Vinyl has become expensive again, and now cassettes are cheap. So that's why bands are doing it. Oh, it's annoying. It is. That's annoying. Yeah. I don't get it. And I, I, I see that with bands sometimes. And if your band does that, I apologize. Actually, I don't, but whatever. Like the whole point, like it's just, I don't understand when people put them out on Instagram and they're like, we have 50 new tapes. And it's like, for who? Like, I just don't understand that market. I'm sure there's people out there that buy it. Otherwise people wouldn't be making them. But I, I get your point about it. It's, it's a cheaper way to get your music into more people's hands i get that but still i'm not saying it's all right but i understand yeah yes to quote memorial now listen i i hate cassettes i think they're annoying but listen if people want to sell them that's fine that you know don't let my opinion influence you it means nothing now i don't have much left to say you know when we do the podcast it's uh since i have so much free time now since i'm not in a relationship anymore it's very strange the weeks go by really slow. The weekends go by really slow. So when we sign on to do the podcast on Tuesday, it feels like I haven't spoken to you in a year. Oh, because so much has happened in between there, and it's like you, your time is going kind of slow-mo on you. I dread the weekend because it's it's sad, you know? That used to be when I would go see them, and we would spend all the time together, and now I just sit here, and uh, I'm still adjusting. But listen... It is what it is, as they say. I got nothing much left to say, and I'm starving. I have to go put my frozen pizza in the oven, my nightly meal. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I got to start cooking again. I love cooking. It's I, getting to that point. I got to do it. I got to do it. Yeah, it's and it's also it's so much better for you. Yeah. I. I this is like that addict moment. I'm like, I know I have to do it, but I'm putting it off. You know what I mean? Oh, because it's the easy choice. Yeah. 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 But I gotta, I, I gotta do it. I gotta buy some new pots and pans, and I gotta, I gotta start making some real meals. I just always like make sure, like with us, like you know, because I gotta make something that I'm gonna eat, Kelly's gonna eat, and the girls will all eat. The baby's not picky, so that's easy. But uh, I just find that like the more I just do things like easy stuff, like chicken breast, cut it real thin, put it in the oven. Bake it for a little bit, put it in a pan, fry it up, toss some stuff on it, whatever you want, barbecue sauce, ranch, whatever, mix a salad, good to go. That's a dinner. 
Exactly. I do simple dinners, poultry, starch, green vegetable. That's it. That's all you need. I could eat that every night. But listen, we're out of time. So thank you to Jamie and Jeb for coming on the show. Be sure to check out the record. We need more Apple podcast reviews. Leave us a good review. We'll read it on the air. We don't encourage you to leave a bad review, but we'll read that on the air too because it would probably be funny. (laughs) Continue to write us, northeastscene at gmail.com. Yeah, we're in this. We're going to keep doing it because what the hell else do we have to do? I I have nothing else. Me either. I really have nothing now. I I think the only thing that keeps me kind of grounded with like especially just life in general is just i i really look forward to like the opposite of you i look forward to the weekends yeah where i'm not bound by i have to teach a class at this time or this is due at this time i i love that time with my kids just because i'm like all right we can do whatever the hell we want let's go play sidewalk chalk let's go skateboard let's go you know now that it's like opening up a little bit more like let's go to the park and take a really long walk the girls are obsessed with their steps now because we got those pedometers so they can wear them, but like they're yeah. just nuts with it. So it's like, dude, it's just, it's a good time because it's just quality time. You get to spend with your family. And like, I think, um, a lot of times I took those times for granted. Cause I was like, ah, eh, you know, oh, I got to watch the kids. It's like, they're your kids. They're only going to be <laughs> this age for a little while. Like I, I always used to hear people say that, like I have to babysit my kids. They're yours. It's not babysitting. Spend time with your kids, idiot. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Well, we'll be back next week, folks. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.